Today, I want to be honest with you guys for a second. I struggled with figuring out what to talk about this morning. I, I, I spent a lot of time in prayer about, God, I got nothing. What do you want to share with these people? What do you, want to, what do you need me to learn so I can share it? And it kept coming back to a couple of cool um, things that we're going to go into here in a little bit. But today what I want to talk about and what God really talked to me about this week was dialing it in. We need to clear our focus. We need to live in a what-if world of what if God wants to do something great. And let that what-if overcome the fear of what if something bad happens. A quick illustration this morning is a young boy traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school take-home paper, and the professor thought he would have some fun with the lad. Young man, said the professor, if you can tell me something God can do, I will give you a big shiny apple. The boy thought for a moment and then replied, Mr., if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole bushel barrel of apples. Do we live by what we know God can't do and not what we can't? It's too often we put too much emphasis on what I can do and what I can't do and what God's already done. So we need to, that's why I'm talking about we need to dial in our vision. We need to clear, clarify our focus. And is our focus on fear or is it on faith? Do we live by what we think might happen or do we live by what God might do if we do something? Planting a church is a great example of that. There's not a lot of statistics that prove church plants work over the long haul. In fact, the sad part, I think, is within the first five years, the majority of them Struggle or close. What's that? Yeah. Uh, you know, three, five years. It's my personality, <laughs> just to warn you guys, I'm a fighter. You tell me I can't do something, I'm fighting to prove that we can do it. My personality has always been, don't tell me why we can't accomplish something. Help me figure out how we can accomplish it. I'm, 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 I'm not an excuse guy, even for myself. In fact, I'm harder on myself with excuses. If I try to come up with an excuse, I will beat myself up for it. Because what if God wants to do something great through you? Do you really have the guts to miss out on that? See, that scares me more. It scares me more to miss out on what God might do than what he might not do. Because I can get over what doesn't happen, but do I want to live with the regrets of what might have happened? And we're going to look at some stories this morning in the Bible that talk about that. People who lived in a, you're going to hear words like even if, or perhaps, which are both just ways of saying what if. They're both just ways of clarifying what if God does something great? And what if he doesn't? Is it going to change how I live? Because we do that, don't we? We pray for something to happen, and then when it doesn't happen, we start questioning God. 
Like he's no longer good. God's always good. Our circumstances may not always be good. I'm pretty sure Jesus' circumstance on the cross wasn't good. But his father was. He cried out, didn't he? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Stole that from David. Why? Because he understood, what if God wants to do something great? I don't want to miss out on it. I don't want to miss out, and I don't want us as a church to miss out on what God has for us. So we're, we take chances. Why? Because what if God wants to do something? That video we showed of that land, that's the land we purchased this year. Why? Because what if, and God did give us that land. What he gave us that land for is a blessing. Where the land is, is a blessing. How we were able to buy the land is a blessing. Why? Because we had a, a dream that said, what if God wants us to have this? We're going to live. We're going to pray. And we're going to stay the course by faith in Jesus. We have to stay where we're planted. Too often, it's easier to throw in the towel. And some of you guys can look back on your life, and I did this this week as I was writing this. There are times in my life I threw in the towel before I should have. I saw that cool meme that cruises around on Facebook all the time. When we're ready to throw in the towel, God grabs it and throws it back and says, wipe off your face, you're almost there. We're going to go through things. We're going to have problems with things. But too many people today live by the what if something bad happens, I don't want to take a chance. What if they don't like my picture on Facebook and I don't get enough shares and likes? People won't like me anymore. They don't like me because I don't have three. I don't. Facebook social media has redefined friendship and redefined how we see ourselves. If they don't get 300 likes on their Snapchat story or their Facebook page, they think something's wrong with it, so they got to do the next thing. But God's saying, what if you stayed planted right where you're at and you let me grow you to what you need to be and not worry about what other people tell you you need to become? We live by, what if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, God? What if this church isn't as successful as what my vision is for it, God? Does that mean I'm a failure? No. I joke with people all the time. According to today's statistics for churches, Jesus was the worst pastor ever because he only had 11. He started with 12 and one stabbed him in the back. As a pastor, I don't think I'm going to have a few issues. Jesus was the son of God. Dude had a guy that betrayed him. He had other people that turned away from him. So we live in the what if the worst possible happens, but God is always the best. Do I live by knowing God, that I can trust God, that I can step in faith with God, that I can say, God, you got this, even though it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out, I know you'll create the character in me to become the leader you've called me to be, because you've all been called to be leaders. Now, some of you guys just shut that down because you don't think you're a leader. 
Jesus said, you're a leader. Why? Because you are royalty in his family. And royalty leads people. Some of you this morning are going through some storms. Some of you may not know it, but the person sitting right next to you is going through a storm. Some of you will judge people by the storm they're having. The the thing we need to remember is that Jesus will enter that storm. He may not take you out of it, but he will walk through it with you. And the first story we're going to look at today is found in Daniel. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Now, to give you a little precursor to it, King Nebuchadnezzar just built this huge golden statue, and all his smart people told him that everybody should bow down and worship this thing, and if they don't, they should die. That's the crushed down version of those first verses. And what do we see? We see three young Israelite boys, because they were just boys at this point. They weren't grown men. Get called before the king by these other smart people who think they should be punished. Why? Because they're being blessed by God. You're going to have friends attack you when you start doing what God's called you to do. Some of your biggest detractors of taking a step of faith may be those closest to you. Just saying. Are you still willing to trust God? Kyle Eidelman tells a story in his Not a Fan book of a young man who came to Christ. He started believing the whole thought process of tithing. So he started to tithe. His mom came to Kyle Eidelman and said, you have to stop teaching my kids this stuff because he's gotten kind of radical with this following Jesus stuff. Do you want to be tagged as radical for Jesus? Or you just want to get in the game and not really ever play, just be on the team? Now Kyle Edelman said, guess what? He's not a fan anymore. He's a follower. We, our hearts should break for the people who tell us we shouldn't be sold out for Jesus because Jesus sold out for us. He died on a cross for us. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, what? we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are throwing, thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Sound kind of a little cocky there, don't it? Like, guess what? He can save us. It's all good. He will rescue us from your power, from your majesty. And this is my favorite part of this whole story. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we're never going to bow to your gods. Our culture today wants us to bow to what they think is right. But even if you throw me into the furnace, I'm never going to shy away from your truth. Do we live that way? 
Now, y'all know the story, and if you don't, read it. It's, it's cool. They get thrown in the fire. They stoke it hotter than they've ever stoked it before. And all of a sudden, the king walks by. And they, they couldn't even walk near it because it was singeing the hair on their arm on their hair when their hair on their arm when they would walk by it. It was just crazy hot. And they walk by and say, hey, there's a fourth person in there. Didn't we only throw three in there? Jesus will walk with you through the fire. Stop trying to get out of the fire and walk with Jesus through it. Let him refine you. Because what does fire do? It gets rid of bad stuff, right? So I'm thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fire, they're getting refined spending time with Jesus. They're getting fired up, no pun intended, with Jesus. Because then they come walking out, and everybody's surprised because they're like, you you don't even smell like smoke. You've been hanging out in the fire. You don't smell like smoke. And what happened to the people who got them out? They burned up. So you know that fire was hot. You know it wasn't a mistake. You know God showed up and changed the situation. We sometimes have to hang on through the fire, and God will change the situation. We got to step through that fire and say, God, I'll meet you on the other side. We listened to a song this morning that says, God set a fire in me. There's no place I'd rather be than in your fire, God. Because he will refine it. He'll take out what doesn't need to be there. He'll take out what what we can't take out and change us. In 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15, it's another even if statement. And Peter says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So we see another even if statement. Even if you have friends tell you it's not worth it, I got you is what God's telling you. Do we live with a focus of faith on eternity or is it a temporal focus of faith of only what we can see? Do we live our lives, do we live our faith by what happens today, not by God is good all the time? How many of you this morning, if you're honest, sometimes get tired of waiting on God to do what only he can do? You can all shake your head yes, because we all get there. We suffer. We get derailed. We get frustrated. We still don't see anything happening. God, why aren't you doing this? But this morning I want to tell you, you may be one decision away from changing the course of your life by just saying, through that storm, God, you're good, and I'm going to walk with you. I want to encourage you this morning by my big thought statement for this morning. What what if God wants to do something great through you? Every decision I look at for myself and for this church goes through that filter. What if God wants to do something great? And then we pray about it. And God will give us a yes or no on it. There's things we haven't done because God didn't say it was a good idea. 
He said, you're getting ahead of me. That's for down the road. Wait a little bit. But I'm like, God, I want to do it now. What if we change our mindsets from what we can't do to what God can do through us? One other story I want to look at this morning as, as, we, as we close out, and I can't go through a lot of it. I'm going to have to go through it quick because we're going to take communion this morning. It's found in 1 Samuel 14. <laughs> Jonathan, friend of David, just kind of giving you an idea here. They're facing 3,000 Philistines who have spears and swords and everything else. They got plowshare. They got pitchforks and plowshares. They don't have real weapons because the Philistines wouldn't let them have any metal workers. So they couldn't design any of this stuff. If, if they needed any of their stuff sharpened for their work, they'd have to bring it to the Philistines to get sharpened. So now you got 3,000 guys in an army, or 3,000 chariots, I should say, in the army, showing up. Saul and his people have 600 guys with pitchforks. <laughs> the odds aren't sounding very good to me. And Jonathan, in verse 1 of chapter 14, says, Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrisons on the other side. Okay, you're facing insurmountable odds. Again, a young kid looks at a guy carrying his armor. Say, dude, let's go take these guys. Big dream. He had a big dream. But the key that I want to look at in that one is the last line of that verse said, but he did not tell his father. Why? Because he knew his father would steal his dream. He knew Saul, his father, was all about power, all about looking good to people. Jonathan didn't tell him. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrisons, there were sharp edges on both sides. Okay, a big cliff. So not only were they going to have problems of having only pitchforks, but now they got to climb a cliff as well. Insurmountable odds by what we see. And Jonathan goes on to say in 4, or in 5, Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of those uncircumcised. Now he starts... <clears throat> they got none. Who else that sound like? Sound a lot like David, don't it? And what does he say? He says, perhaps, key word right there, perhaps the Lord will work for us because numbers don't matter to God. Do you live by perhaps God will do something? Or do you live by fear of six, two now, two, not even his whole army, two? going against 3,000 chariots. And I'm not going to read the rest of the story. You can read it. It's an awesome story. But to wrap it up for you, they were outnumbered. They were outarmed. They were out everything except their God who showed up. They killed 20 people as after they climbed, climbed up the cliff. When Saul finally showed up, they were killing themselves because God had confused them. 
The Philistines were wiping themselves out. Why? Because one young man said, what if God wants to do something great today? So tomorrow, today, when you walk out of here, say, God, what if you're going to do something great today? I'm just going to walk. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look right. But you're telling me to go. I'm going to go. And I'm going to watch you show up. And even if you don't, I still love you. See, there is no storm that God can't walk you through. There is no bridge that God can't help you cross. There is no battle that God won't help you win. And there is no heartache that God can't help you let go of and heal. There is nothing God cannot do. He is so much bigger than anything you'll face in your life. Leave everything in his hands and embrace this day being confident of that one thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Because that's his word and that's his promise. When you get some time this week, as I, and this is, I'm going to wrap this up with this. When you get some time this week, read through Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's the Hall of Fame for faith people. I want you to think about, as you're walking through it, the men and women who could have gotten discouraged because God didn't show them the promise that he had offered them. Let's just take Abraham. Spends a lot of time talking about Abraham in that chapter. God promised him a land flowing of milk and honey if all he did was leave his home. What did he do? He left his home. Did he ever see that land? He lived as a nomad. But his focus was on eternity and what God had promised, not on his situation here. Moses. <laughs> Rough beginning. Y'all can admit that. Dude shouldn't be floating down a river in a basket. He refused to be called the Pharaoh's do- or Pharaoh's sister's queen or child. Got exiled. Came back. Got made fun of. God said, you will take my people out of Egypt because I am sent you. And then what happened? They wandered around the desert 40 years and Moses never saw the promised land that God had promised him. But he never doubted that God was good because his focus was on eternity. It wasn't on today's situation. Do we live our life focused on what God says is going to happen down the road, not what's happening in the here and now? And there's story after story in that chapter that talk about what people went through. We see, we take some of this stuff for granted. We take some of it as a thought process of we know the end of the story. These guys didn't know the end of the story, but they knew the God they served. Stop taking these stories as common and understand they are just like us. They just believed God was greater. That's where we live. That's the same God we get to live in. My situations may not look like I want them to, but God is greater.